And welcome into the Most Accurate Podcast. My name is Anthony Stoltz. Alongside me is 444.com's John Paulson. And I can imagine that after a very busy week one where John had a lot going on, the the finale of uh, Sunday's action must have been a massive roller coaster for Packer fan John Paulson. Um, did you survive last night? No, I, I missed it. What what happened? Just kidding. <laughs> I I tweeted uh, late last night that, that, as far as I could remember, that was the worst first half of Packer football that I can remember. And then, I mean, because they were playing terrible to the, against our arch rival. I guess there are arch rivals still, even though they haven't been very good lately. The Bears... Uh, being down 17 nothing at halftime, Deshaun Kaiser turning the ball over twice, Aaron Rodgers possibly tearing a ligament in his knee. We didn't know what was his problem. We figured maybe the season was over. To fast forward to the third quarter, and he comes back out on the field and lights it up. It was The second half was about as good as I can remember. Maybe the Super Bowl was uh, better, but that was that was insane last night. Yeah, it was two, and it was really two different things. It was you thought okay, the season's over again, because when he goes to the tent, that's one thing. When he gets carted off the field, that's yeah. that's another. And you see Deshaun Kaiser, who actually started off okay, and then, you know, he had the disastrous fumble in the red zone, and, and then, of course, Khalil Mack returns the uh, interception right before half for a touchdown. So you think, all right, season's over with, oh, Aaron Rodgers is back, now we have a shot, and then you win the game. It, it couldn't have worked out better for Packer fans and any worse for Bears fans, but just an unbelievable way to cap off a, a Sunday in the NFL. We have a lot to get to in our podcast. We're going to start off with some injury news, some news in general. We'll get to some RBB questions because there's a bunch of them. John's got some waiver wire watches to, to kind of keep an eye on, and then we'll look at Monday Night Football very briefly before we wrap up the podcast. Before we get to all of that, John, tell us about the music that brought us in. Yeah, this is not an unknown band like some of the bands that we feature on the pod. This is The Who. Uh, a lot of people probably know this track. It's Eminence Front. Uh, it's from the 1982 album. It's hard. It's just a, a funny track to me because it's one that I completely missed as I was growing up. I had The Who's Greatest Hits that had the uh, British flag on the front, and that's pretty much all the, the Who that I really listened to. And uh, this track was a, a big hit in the '80s, and uh, you know I didn't really, didn't really discover it until I was out of college. But now I think it's one of the, the, their best songs, and it's got uh, Pete Townsend on on vocals, which is a rarity for the for the for the Who. Uh, let's let's get to some injury news, John. We'll start off with Aaron Rodgers. He's day to day with a sprained knee. We saw it last night. We just kind of briefly talked about it. My only question would be, how concerned are you, not only as a Packer fan, obviously, but uh, as a fantasy football owner that probably took Aaron Rodgers fairly early in your draft, that he's going to be available for next week and beyond? Is, is there any lingering concerns here? Uh, I guess I'd be slightly concerned that he's not uh, available for week two, but he said uh, after the game that he's going to be out there. And I think typically when a player can finish the game, uh, they're able to play the following week because they've got a few days to heal and, and get their get the treatment that they need to get the swelling down or whatever, the pain out of the knee, uh, or whatever injury it is. So I think he'll probably be out there. I, I mean, it's a little bit concerning from his mobility standpoint, but um, you know he has had a season or two where he has been limited with his legs and had to pretty much uh, pick apart defenses from the pocket. So he's not... Um, one that has to rely on uh, his legs in order to score fantasy points or to move his team down the field. So I think he'll be okay. 
Sticking with quarterbacks, Marcus Mariota left Sunday's game against the Dolphins, which is weird. I mean, you had multiple lightning delays in that game. It spanned like six hours. It was a 1 o'clock Eastern start, and it went into Sunday evening because of the delays. Mariota left that game. I I know he left once. I actually think he left a couple of times, but I I could be wrong on that. Regardless, elbow injury for him. He's day-to-day. Blaine Gabbert took over, did not look good, and Mariota wasn't sharp himself. What do you think about Mariota's injury and how that affects some of the Titans' skill position players? Well, it's certainly going to hurt that offense as a whole. Um, I was a little bit bullish on Mariota at his draft position this year after being too high on him last year. I think he was sort of a post-type sleeper. It might take him a little bit to figure out this new offense and to get into the swing of things. But let me ask you this. If Mariota is out for a little bit, is Blaine Gabbert to you uh, an above average backup quarterback or is he below average for for a number two um he's got a lot of starting experience but i would still classify him as a slightly below average backup yeah so this is going to hurt their their offense as a whole um but uh you know he's at least has experience as a starter we'll move on to the running back position a couple of key injuries here uh, well, really, one one main one that we'll talk about is Leonard Fournette. So he strained his hamstring. He's day-to-day. T.J. Eldon's the backup there. He was grabbing his uh, – Fournette was seen grabbing his hamstring in the second quarter. He did not return after that. Doug Marone, the head coach for the Jaguars, seemed optimistic about Fournette's status heading in, into week two, but looks like they could be cautious. And as we know, John, hamstrings can, tend to be uh, a, a fickle injury. Yeah, this is uh... – Maybe my, a little bit my fear with Fournette was just the durability factor. And, you know, he had the foot injury back into college and he missed three games last season as well. So uh, there's a little bit of a concern heading into the draft season with him. Uh, with Yeldon, he, his draft stock was extremely low uh, during, the, during the draft season because I think people were thinking that Corey Grant might take on a larger role if anything were to happen to Fournette. But in this particular game, Yeldon ended up touching the ball 17 times. Uh, Grant got one touch, and it was clearly Yeldon's show. So if Fournette is out this week or for a couple of weeks, I think Yeldon will be the, be the guy. And I went back and looked at his game logs, and he's had 15 career games where he's seen at least 15 touches, and he's averaged 14.5 uh, PPR fantasy points per game in those 15 games. So he's basically an RB2 um, as long as Fournette is out, and the upcoming schedule is not too daunting. They've got the Patriots in Week 2, so there should be some catches available there, Tennessee in Week 3, the Jets in Week 4. So, uh, you know, in the short term, it depends on this hamstring injury and how long it lingers. Uh, I know Marone was feeling optimistic about it, but, um, you know, it, it would be surprising if Fournette is a, a full goal this week in practice. I, you know, I, I think at best he's coming back on Friday and, and trying to give it a go on in Week 2. This one really hurt fantasy owners because he posted, wound up posting a goose egg. Doug Baldwin sprained his MCL in the Seahawks' loss to the Broncos. He's now dealing with pain in both knees after this latest injury. There was I, he, he fell in a couple of drafts, but I think a lot of people still viewed him at least as a wide receiver too, John. How concerning is this knee injury and who benefits in Seattle? Yeah, he went from being in you know, late second, early third round pick in PPR formats to going near the 3-4 turn. Uh, after the the knee injury, and then now he's hurt the other knee. Um, So it's not ideal for Baldwin owners. Brandon Marshall did lead the team in targets with six, six, and he had three catches for 46 yards and a touchdown. 
Um, I prefer Tyler Lockett, uh, three for 59 and a touchdown on four targets. But I think Marshall, because Marshall is going to be available in the waiver wire and Lockett probably won't. Uh, but uh, Marshall does have some upside as a like a PPR, maybe a, a low yards per catch. Uh, he, I know he averaged, I think, 15 yards per catch uh, yesterday. But, you know, he'd be more of a possession guy. Uh, and he does offer some upside in the uh, red zone as well with his big frame. So uh, I don't think he's a bad pickup, especially for Baldwin owners who are uh, seriously hurting at uh, receiver right now. All right, let's do a couple of tight ends, and then we'll. I, I want to get. I want to ask you one question about Josh Gordon, just from a u- usage standpoint. Delaney Walker, tight end for the Titans. He's likely done for the season. Ankle fracture and a dislocation. This is um, again. This is gonna. This is basically gonna cost. Not basically. It is going to cost Walker his season. So talk about Smith, the backup, and whether or not Corey Davis, assuming that Marcus Mariota is healthy, benefits from uh, Delaney Walker going down. I liked uh, Johnu Smith as a as a backup, as a pickup here, and especially in deeper leagues. I know tight end when a tight end gets injured, season ending injury, it, there isn't as much of a mad rush to the waiver wire. Uh, to to go pick him up because the tight end position is not as in demand as say running back or or wide receiver. It's sort of like quarterback in that respect since it's a onesie position in most leagues. But in deeper formats and tight end premium formats, I think John Smith is a is a good pickup. He has four point six two speed. Uh, his game speed data at airyards.com from Josh, Josh Hermsmeyer uh, doesn't show that type of speed. Uh, he was actually a little bit below average for his position, but he's made some big plays. Uh, he had a, a pair of touchdowns and back-to-back. Uh, he had one touchdown back-to-back uh, games in week two and week three uh, of last year, but he's never gained more than 30 yards receiving. But now with, with Walker sidelined, he's going to be a bigger part of this offense. I think the concern with him is uh, Marcus Mariota and the quarterback situation there. Is it going to be uh, a positive situation or negative? And right now it's looking a little bit up in the air. One more tight end injury to get to Greg Olson. He's now week-to-week with a sprained foot, but, I mean, he was seen on crutches, in a boot, in the same foot that he had surgery on last year. This looks like a devastating situation for Greg Olson. Ian Thomas is the backup there. Do you have any interest in him from a waiver wire standpoint, and what what should Greg Olson owners do? Uh, Greg Olson owners are going to need to stream the position and hopefully land somebody that can start for them on a weekly basis. Uh, Olson... I mean, sometimes the boot and the crutches is just a precaution and it ends up being okay. I guess we'll know more uh, when the uh, beat writers start to find out what's actually going on with Olsen and, you know, we get news from what the team is doing with him. Uh, Joe Person of the uh, Charlotte Observer called Ian Thomas the quote-unquote biggest surprise of camp. Uh, he, he's he got 4.74 speed, pretty good burst and agility, according to playerprofiler.com. Uh, big catch radius as well. His best comparable is Austin Hooper, so that's you got that going for him. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, this is he's, he's not going to command the type of targets that Greg Olson commanded. Uh, this is more, you know, he, he's a stopgap maybe, and maybe he because he's a rookie as well, so you just can't expect him to come in and tear it up. I mean, this, there's only so many Evan Ingram situations. Uh, and this isn't one because Ingram saw so many targets because of all the injuries around him. Uh, Devin Funches probably benefits. Uh, you know, um, Christian McCaffrey probably def- benefits. DJ Moore, uh, et cetera. So, uh, you know, desperate, big, huge leagues. Ian Thomas is a pickup as well, just like uh, John o. Smith is. I, I want to get through one podcast without mentioning Austin Hooper from now on. You know, <laughs> he's a New Jersey cook. Me. I mean, he. Th- th- there's so many opportunities for Austin Hooper in the offense. The only question is why. 
You know, uh, let's let's get to Josh Gordon. I just got one question on him. Just from a usage standpoint, he he played sixty nine of eighty nine snaps at seventy eight percent of the offense. Are you comfortable with you know he had a seventeen yard touchdown? It's not like he he caught a bunch of passes. In fact, he just caught the one for the touchdown. But moving forward, I know you're a Josh Gordon owner in our league. Do you feel comfortable with him being a wide receiver three? Well, I I, I like his upside because he's a, he's a good player. Uh, I think. Regular listeners uh, will remember us talking about Gordon and my concern with him was Jarvis Landry coming in and commanding X number of targets. And if you look at the box score for this game yesterday, Landry had 15 of 40 targets from Tyrod Taylor. I mean, this was a high target game for Tyrod Taylor, 40. I mean, he's not going to throw 40 every week. And Josh Gordon only saw three targets. Uh, David Njoku saw seven. Duke Johnson saw six. Uh, even even uh, Richard Higgins out-targeted uh, Josh Gordon with four targets. So having, you know, you could write this off and say, okay, well, he only played, he wasn't going to start and wasn't going to, you know, play that many snaps. But I think he did get the start and he did play starter snaps, 78%. Maybe there's some room for growth with the snaps. Maybe he's able to play 85 90% of the snaps and then maybe his usage goes up a little bit more. Uh, but I'm definitely a little concerned that he only saw three targets on, on 40 uh, pass attempts. That's that's troubling to me. All right, let's move on to some RBBC um, situations here. And in, and in the future podcast, maybe we'll include some wide receiver uh, or tight end news as well. But let's stick with the running backs for right now because there's a lot to get to. This is where we'll discuss just John's impressions from the way that running backs were utilized and what fantasy owners can gather from it. So let's start off with the Titans. Deion Lewis rushed 16 times for 75 yards and he had a touchdown. He was involved in the passing game, which we knew five five of eight, um, five catches, eight targets, thirty five yards. Derrick Henry he rushed ten times for twenty six yards. He also caught his lone target for five yards. Here's the interesting part of the situation here in Tennessee. So Henry actually got the, received the first eight touches of the game yesterday in Miami before Deion Lewis even touched the ball. Following that point, though, Lewis outtouched Henry twenty two by a margin of twenty one to three. Lewis looked like the more effective back. Derrick Henry owners have to be concerned now, John, because he was highly ineffective against a Miami team that's not great. Henry had a long touchdown run that got called back. I remember he did. Yep. that happened on Red Zone's channel. Um, Andrew Siciliano was like, you're going to hate me. This, this got called back. But uh, Henry looked good on that run. Uh, but the other his other 10 carries, 2.6 yards per carry, a long carry of five. Uh, if you remember reading, you know, my article about Derrick Henry being overdrafted, my concern was Deion Lewis coming in the average, uh, running back, uh, getting that type of, or getting at least 6 million and, uh, guaranteed money. If I'm remembering the stack correct, correctly, that running, those running backs since I don't remember the year, but, uh, they, they average 14.7 touches per game. And if, if Lewis sees that sort of workload, he saw more than that. I mean, he saw 21 touches in week one. Uh, it, there's not going to leave a lot of room for Henry. It just the numbers just don't add up. They're going to have to run massive number uh, of, uh, you know, the running game has going to have to be massive for them to support Henry and Lewis as as ball carriers. So uh, I would be concerned if I was a Derrick Henry owner, but I'm not a Derrick Henry owner because I uh, I saw this coming, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Uh, let's move. Let's move on. We'll talk about Denver now. So you have Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay. They both rushed 15 times apiece. Freeman for 71 yards, and then Lindsay for 71 yards. That's that's not a, uh, a, a typo. 15 carries, 71 yards for both of them. 
Lindsey was the one that caught two of three targets for 31 yards. He also had a touchdown. If you look from a snaps percentage, Freeman played 39%. Lindsey played 26 snaps, and he again, he matched Freeman's carry load. Devontae Booker finished with 19 snaps. So this looks like a true RBBC for the Broncos. Any interest in adding Lindsey in your leagues? Yes, I think so. I mean, especially in PPR formats, uh, given his uh, plays in the in the passing game, two catches for 31 yards and a touchdown, three targets. Devontae Booker had two targets, so he, out, he already out-targeted Booker. I think what's going to end up happening here is Booker is going to get pushed out and it's going to be a, a Freeman-Lindsay uh, backfield. I think the two players complement each other pretty well. Lindsay's uh, smaller and more of like a Lance Dunbar type where Freeman's more of a fr- uh, thumper on first and second down, according to uh, John Elway. So uh, I think these two actually complement each other well. I would be worried if I'm a Freeman owner because you don't want to see Lindsay you know, another rookie getting uh, 17 touches in, in week one. So it is a little bit concerning for Freeman owners. 49ers had a tough matchup yesterday. We knew that. They were going to face my, uh, Minnesota in Minnesota. Jimmy Garoppolo, three picks in that game. The 49ers rushing attack. This was also kind of interesting with the Jarek McKinnon loss for the season, how they u- would utilize Alfred Morris and uh, Matt Breida. So Morris rushed 12 times for 38 yards in that loss. Matt Breida... 11 times, 46 yards. He also caught one of two targets for five yards. How do you how, how did you view this situation? Again, tough matchup with Minnesota, but what did you glean from Kyle Shanahan's usage of both backs? Well, I think we heard there was a report prior to the game starting that Morris was going to start and get the vast majority of, not the vast majority, but he's going to get the first crack at carries. Um, so he ended up with more carries. It's not too surprising. I wouldn't take too much or read into this running back situation too much given the matchup. I mean, neither one really found much running room. Breda ended up with 11 carries for 46 yards. So he did had a decent efficiency of 4.2 yards per carry. But I mean, I think the surprising thing for me is that the running backs really weren't involved in the passing game at all, especially with the 49ers trailing almost the entire game. Uh, I would have thought that there'd be more receptions there, uh, especially for Breda, who was heavily involved last year when he was on the field as a receiver. So that's to be the one th- concern I have. I, I feel a little less confident about starting him in PPR formats uh, heading into next week. Colts, this is an, another one that a, a lot of people were kind of keeping their eyes on. So let's let's first get Kristen Michael out of the way. He only rushed twice for nine yards, so he's not in the mix. But the two young running backs, you have Naheem Hines. He rushed five times for 19 yards. He also caught seven of his nine targets for 33 yards. So the targets were there. The yardage was not. Jordan Wilkins rushed 14 times for 40 yards. He was also involved somewhat in the passing game, although not to Hines' standpoint or Hines's, you know, uh, production. Three of three targets for 21 yards. What do you make of the Colts' backfield? I'm waiting for Marlon Mack to get healthy. Uh, honestly, <laughs> uh, I thought Wilk. You know, I saw a little bit of the start of the game, and I thought Wilkins looked okay early. And uh, but clearly, the the running game wasn't going for the Colts yesterday. Um, I, and you mentioned Hines with seven catches on nine targets for 33 yards. He had a he had a catch for 17 yards. So that means the other six catches went for 16 yards. I would say that's not good. Uh, so you're really, you know, Marlon Mack is the guy I'm waiting to see because, you know, I watched his, all of his touches from the second half of last season. I was really impressed with how he ran and uh, his play in the passing game as well. So I want to see, you know, if anything, I'm like, okay, 
Jordan Wilkins had a chance to kind of grab the job and didn't really get it done. I mean, he had 17 touches and only gained 61 yards out of out of the, the those 17 touches. So uh, I feel a little bit better about my Mac shares, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he does when he gets back. Uh, let's talk about Miami. So Frank Gore, I, it, you think Frank Gore is done. He rushed nine times for 61 yards. He showed some good bursts, too. I mean, he, his yards per carry, 6.8. He was very effective yesterday against Tennessee. Kenyon Drake, fourteen. he rushed 14 times for 48 yards. He also caught three of four targets for 18 yards. I, I, I go back a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Frank Gore, not not stealing carries, but siphoning some carries for Kenyon Drake because he looked so good in, in training camp. At least in one week, John, that was the case. Both Gore and Drake played, and and Gore looked pretty good. Yeah, Drake had 17 touches, though, so I'm not too worried. You'd like to see a touchdown, especially with the Dolphins scoring 27 points. It, it, it's a little worrisome when none of the running backs uh, get a touchdown. Uh, I think, yeah, I saw the run where Gore, I think I saw his 21-yard run. Uh, Gore looked good on that play, but you know, we know what Frank Gore is at this point. He's not going to be a 6.8 yards per carry type player. Or, what? I mean, I, I would be I would be shocked if he's over five yards per carry or over 4.5 yards per carry even by the end of the year. So we're going to have some tough games, I think, with Frank Gore, and I think that just leads more to, to Drake. I think you know Gore having this success and still seeing five fewer carries than Kenyon Drake probably bodes well for Kenyon Drake. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Gore in a part-time role can come in and impress a little bit, but I, I don't, I don't think he's going to steal a significant portion of Drake's touches. None of this is a surprise in New England, John, but I did want to uh, bring this up, um, especially with Sony Michelle inactive yesterday, and the Patriots just kind of having that Russian roulette. Um, backfield. Rex Burkhead rushed 18 times for 64 yards. He was the clear-cut leading rusher for them. James White was more involved in the passing game, which was expected. Four of nine targets, 38 yards, and a touchdown. Do you feel safe about Rex Burkhead as a RB2 moving forward, or you know, um, do you think uh, eventually the, the Patriots will uh, lean on Sony Michelle or James White? Well, if Sony Michelle can get healthy, that's great, but he's had a you know, long injury history going back to college. So uh, inactive for week one and Jeremy Hill uh, took a hit on his knee and he might be out. So they may be forced to uh, activate Michelle. And if he's not active next week, then something's really going on with that knee. It wasn't just, Oh, you know, he's getting healthy and we're just going to give him the week off. And cause we've got Hill and Burkhead and white this week, we can get by with them. Uh, so we'll see heading into this week how much Michelle's practicing and if that knee's getting actually getting better, if it's just um, kind of staying the same or getting worse. Uh, e- either way, I think it'll take Michelle a while to really carve out a role. Uh, I think they like Burkhead a lot. I think they like James White a lot. So if Hill's out of the picture, you're looking at a Burkhead-White tag team. And in this backfield, if, if they're both getting you know, an equal share or one-third, two-thirds type touches, they're both going to be uh, viable, especially in PPR formats. Turn back the clock time. Adrian Peterson, 96 yards and a touchdown on 26 carries. He also caught two passes for 70 yards. Yes, he caught two passes, turned them into 70 yards. Now, he, he lost the one fumble on the really nice play, but otherwise AP was outstanding, John. And then Chris Thompson went for 65 yards on five carries, and he caught six catches for 63 yards. Is there is there enough room in the backfield for both guys to be fantasy relevant? There is, especially in PPR formats. I, you know, I've been a proponent of Chris Thompson and in, in PPR, especially uh, when uh, the, they had the injury to uh, Darius Geis uh, in the preseason. 
Uh, I wouldn't say turn back the clock on Adrian Peterson, though, because he did. I mean, it took 26 carries to get those 96 yards. Um, he would need to have like a 4.8 yard per, yards per carry to really go turn back the clock. But you're right. The, tw- the 70 <laughs> At yards least for one day. One day you look good. He did. I mean, the the big run and uh, uh, the big uh, run on the catch and was like rolling over people. I think he's probably fired up that you know play against his old team, um, old team theorem there, uh, playing against uh, Arizona who let him go this off season. I think in standard formats he's going to be an RB two if if the Redskins are able to keep the game close or are favored you know to win and are ahead because he's going to continue to get those those carries. But I don't think he's as big a weapon in the passing game as Chris Thompson is. And I think they know what they have in Chris Thompson. I mean, just look at the efficiency there. You know, everybody said that it was going to decrease and it may still Chris Thompson. He's not going to score as many touchdowns on this few, few touches, but you know, 11 touches for over 120 yards. I mean, this guy is, you know, unbelievable in both facets of the game. And uh, it was great to see him find the end zone uh, yesterday. So the situation in Seattle got more muddled, I thought. You have Chris Carson, Rashad Penny. Owners didn't really know who was going to be the lead back. A lot of people loved Rashad Penny. Chris Carson looked good, I guess, in training camp, according to beat writers. And then Penny, of course, had the injury. Here's here's how it all played out against Denver in week one. Chris Carson rushed seven times for 51 yards. He caught three passes on five targets for 28 yards. One of the keys, though, he also lost a fumble when the when he had the ball stripped out from Von Miller. He outgained Penny, 79 total yards to 43, though, and Penny rushed 70, uh, seven times for only eight yards. He caught four or five targets for 35 yards. John, I said it, I said a couple of podcasts ago, I'm not touching Seattle's backfield, and at least through week one, I'm glad I haven't. We saw in the, in the preseason how they wanted to use these two. It was the first drive of their, their first preseason game, and, and uh, Carson got the start, and Penny came in, uh, immediately on that first drive and got involved in it. So, you know, you're looking at the, the, the play-by-play here uh, for, for, the, um, for the Seahawks, and it's, they're trying to use both players. So, and, the, and the touches reflect that. But Carson significantly outgained uh, Penny, so you would think that he retains his job and maybe gets a few extra carries next week with Penny maybe taking a little bit more of a backseat. But I think in general... You have two running backs that they want to use, and you don't really know a week-to-week basis who's going to produce and who's going to find the end zone. I think as Penny gets healthier and gets more in tune with this offense, that he's probably the better talent. That's why he was drafted and Carson wasn't. Um, But for now, Carson's atop the depth chart, so it's a really tough situation for fantasy owners. All right, John, waiver wire watch. I know you've kind of included some thoughts along the way as we've been talking about the injuries and some of the RBBC situations, but... Who are you keying on waiver wire uh, heading into week two? There is a, you know, looking at the list, we talked about Philip Lindsay, we talked about TJ Yeldon, Brandon Marshall, John Smith, Ian Thomas. I mentioned Marlon Mack. He's hitting some waiver wires as well. He's about 50% owned in Yahoo leagues right now. Uh, so he should be out there. Those, I mean, Lindsay and Mack, I think at running back, we went priority. Uh, Yeldon, maybe if if I'm hurting at running back, or if I have uh, Leonard Fournette and I need, I need a spot starter, um, I think Marshall's decent and as a receiver in, in uh, PPR formats, especially. Deshaun Jackson, I know, uh, went undrafted in quite a few leagues. He tore it up. We never, we didn't really talk about Fitzmagic uh, and and the, and the magic that he pulled in in New Orleans yesterday. The interesting thing about uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick was that I. 
when I was making my DFS lineups yesterday and I, I just locked in Alvin Kamara and James Conner because I knew I wanted to play them both, right? They were both really good values and I, I wanted to play them both. Um, the, uh, the lineup generator gave me um, Ryan Fitzpatrick as the quarterback and I got away from it. I went back, I went to Bortles <laughs> instead of Ryan Fitzpatrick <laughs> because I thought that the New Orleans defense uh, had made major strides last year and I thought that, uh, you know, uh, Fitzpatrick might struggle, but he just came out and tore it up. Uh, Deshaun Jackson was the main reason for that. I mean, the two touchdowns, long passes. He's still good when he's when he's healthy. Uh, so he's he's pick, you, know, you can pick him up, especially in standard formats. He's got more value because he's not a high volume receiver. The other guy uh, that I thought really showed up was Geronimo Allison for the Packers. And sometimes I think guys that play on Sunday night don't get as much waiver wire attention just because everybody's sort of digesting stuff after the late games and getting their waiver, waiver wire list together. But then the Sunday guy kind of gets a little bit overlooked. He played 70, I think 77% of the snaps, 78% of the snaps. Uh, he saw eight targets. Uh, he out target. He had twice as many targets as Jimmy Graham. Uh, so I think, and he looked good doing it. I mean, uh, he had a series of catches in a row and then he obviously had that big bomb uh, where he was able, he doesn't have superior speed, but he was able to beat the guy down the field, and uh, Rodgers put it in the perfect place for him to catch it. So tar- targets from from Aaron Rodgers are worth more than targets from other quarterbacks, most of them. And uh, I think Allison, you know, you've got Randall Cobb ahead of him. Cobb looked good, uh, but he's been injury prone in the past. Devontae Adams already like showed like he was pulling up with a little bit of a hamstring injury uh, in the first half, if you remember that. I mean, he came, ba- came back a play or two later, but uh, when he was he made his big long run, he was kind of running with a little hitch in his giddy up as well. Uh, so if one of those two guys goes out, now you're sitting on a top two receiver for the Packers. And uh, so I think Allison's definitely a, a priority pickup this week. All right, let's just spend a couple of minutes talking about the Monday Night Football games. You have Lions and Jets, and then you have Raiders and Rams. I think the only really big injury news here, uh, is, and that's, it's not big, but Jermaine Curse is going to likely be out for the Jets. He's doubtful. Um, if you want to kind of spend some time talking about that matchup. And then for the Rams, they held out all their starters in preseason, so they're pretty healthy. Jared, uh, Jared, Gerald Everett is dealing with a shoulder injury offensively. But other than that, they're good. And the Raiders, their biggest concern, I think, is their kicker But you know, and, and, and Donald Penn. But outside of that, are you, are you looking at anything from this, these Monday Night Football games? Well, I think in the Jets-Detroit game, uh, I've got Stafford a lot of leagues, so I'm excited to see him play again. Uh and then on the Jets side, you know, Sam Darnold with Robbie Anderson, uh, Quincy Inunua, I think is a nice sleeper this week, especially in PPR formats. So that's sort of intriguing. And then back to Detroit, uh, their backfield, I want to see how that kind of shakes out in terms of touches and everything. And is, it, is Amir Abdullah even involved at this point, or are they, were they just trying to showcase him for a trade in the preseason? And then the Rams in Oakland, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> John Gruden, uh, I guess it'll be interesting to see how his 90s football uh, does in today's game. Uh, Derek Carr, I'm playing against him in FFPC, so he just needs to stay under 42 points. We had the the Aaron Rodgers-Cobb stack last night, so it went from going horribly wrong to everything working out beautifully uh, on our side of the football, so we just got to absorb set 42 points from Carr. I think we're okay with that with the Rams defense there, but we'll see. Um, Ty Gurley is obviously a stud. How, how does uh, Brandon Cooks fit in to that offense? Are they featuring him more than they did 
Sammy Watkins, or is he basically taking over that Watkins role with very few targets and just kind of a deep threat uh, for the Rams? And then Jordy Nelson, it'll be interesting to see how he looks and how he does with a with a new quarterback. That's a he's a player that I've loved for a long time just for my fandom, but I also thought he was a really good route runner and everything. And I, but I think a lot of his uh, success depended on that mind meld that he had with with Rodgers, and I, I'm interested to see if he's able to. Uh, kind of replicate that with Derek Carr, at least uh, have a good season. His price is so low in ADP and everything that uh, he came way down. But uh, and then Amari Cooper over there, uh, is he? Does he? Is this the year he finally breaks out and starts to, to capitalize on all the talent he has? All right, good stuff, John. As always, you can follow John on Twitter at four 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 underscore John. You can follow me at Anthony Stalter. By the way, I have a betting prediction coming out on the Lions and Jets game. I went three and zero yesterday. If you got the, the the total at 43, like I posted on Friday in that Steelers-Browns game, you're okay with the two missed field goals in overtime. That, that wound up being a wild game. Um, so rolling a little bit with the picks, so make sure you check out that and all the great content that we have at 444.com, including some – do we have some, some injury news before Monday's games too, John? I forget if there's one post or not. There's an article posted. Yeah, there's a – on Sunday night uh... – we have a, an injury update training room that uh, Russell Manalastas uh, posts. He's a uh, he's, has a medical background, uh, physical therapy background, so he's covering injuries for us on Sunday night. And then, uh, if you still haven't uh, signed up for four for four, you can also get ten percent off with uh, the code TMAP, uh, the most accurate podcast TMAP. Get you ten percent off any four for four sub. So I thought I should mention that at the end of the end of the pod today. Excellent. Do that and make sure you check out once once you have that subscription or if you have one already, all of John's great rankings, they usually are released. You compile them on Tuesday and um, and then you'll post them, what, Tuesday night? Yeah, Tuesday evening. They're usually up. There you have it. All right. For John Paulson, I'm Anthony Stalter. We'll see you on Friday's edition of the Most Accurate Podcast.